Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the New Testament book of 1 John and 1 John in chapter number 5. The book of 1 John in chapter number 5. We're beginning a brand new Sunday school series dealing with the idea of issues of life answered from the Word of God. And we understand that in the life that we live, there are questions that people will ask. And we need to have a biblically defensible answer for these questions that people sometimes run across. And as we come to the very first and the introduction of this, we now are finding the text of the book of 1 John chapter number 5. The book of 1 John chapter number 5, remember the book of 1 John is towards the end of the Bible. So if you find the book of Revelation and turn the other direction, for, uh, you'd come to the book of Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John has five chapters. 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 11. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. The word of God says this, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And with this, I want you to notice two phrases that we'll find in the book of 1 John chapter 5. Notice with me in verse 11, God hath given unto us eternal life. God hath given unto us eternal life. And then once again in verse number 13, where it says that ye may know that you have eternal life life. And with this, we have the question that we ask, can eternal life be a present possession? Can eternal life be a present possession? Now, we understand that as much as possible, we want to use biblical terminology because we can't say things better than God. And that when we use biblical language, the doctrine that we are explaining becomes much clearer. And so throughout this whole thing, we want to try to use biblical language as much as possible. But this is a question that one of the most important questions they could ask themselves dealing with the idea of eternal life. Can we know for sure that we have eternal life? Well, we want to see what the Bible has to say concerning these things. Now, we know that we can have eternal life. But do you know that that's not the only eternal thing that is found within the Word of God? If you don't mind, before I start answering the question, we want to understand this idea about eternal things. If you don't mind, let's look at several passages dealing with the idea that there are some things that are eternal according to the Word of God. Turn with me to John chapter number 10. 
The gospel record of John. So you were in 1 John. Turn to the gospel record of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And turn with me to John chapter 10. And let's see some of these eternal things that the Bible describes. John chapter number 10. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in John chapter number 10. Notice with me in verse number 27. John chapter number 10. I love to hear the rustling of scriptures. John chapter 10, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, that they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Here we can see some of the eternal things that exist. One of them is eternal life. There is such a thing as eternal life. And that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who grants us this eternal life. In fact, when it talks about eternal life here, it gives a picture that we're his sheep and that we've been given to Christ and that Christ keeps us in his hand and no one can pluck us out. On top of that, we're also placed in God's hand. Amen. And no man can pluck us out of God's hand. That's the idea here, is that eternal life is something that God gives, and it's something that can't be taken away when he gives it to us. But there are other things that are eternal in the Bible. Notice with me in the book of Deuteronomy, towards the front of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and notice with me in verse number 27. So we're starting off, before we answer the question specifically about can eternal life be a present possession, we want to understand how the Bible uses this word eternal, and we want to witness that there are such things as eternal things in the Bible. Notice with me in Deuteronomy chapter 33, and notice with me in verse 27. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy before thee and say, and shall say, destroy them. But notice this, we have an eternal God. In Psalm 90, it refers to God from everlasting to everlasting. That phrase everlasting to everlasting is from eternity past to eternity future God exists. He's an eternal God. He never needs a nap. He never grows old. He never has to eat his Wheaties. He is always full of power and it can never run dry. He's eternal. There is no beginning, no end. He is forever. In fact, he created time and all of time fits in the palm of his hand. That's how big God is. He is outside of time. He is an eternal God. And so we're trying to build an understanding. What does it mean by eternal life? Well, God is eternal. And because he's eternal, he could present to us eternal life. Let's see something else that we understand that is eternal. Notice with me in the book of Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans chapter 1. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 1. 
again, we're just taking some time to understand, first of all, that there are eternal things. Before we answer our question, we want to build this up. What do we mean? What are some eternal things that exist? We know that there is eternal life, and that is something that God grants. We know that God himself is an eternal God. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Romans chapter 1. Notice with me verse 20. It says, Romans chapter 1 verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his, this is God's, eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Something else that we understand is that there is eternal power, and God has eternal power. Again, his power does not run dry. It does not need recharged. He does not need it from an outside source. God doesn't eat. Why do you eat? You need to eat to continue to power your body. God doesn't need external power. He doesn't need gasoline, solar power. He doesn't need the sun. His power is eternal. It'll never run dry. By the way, this is important because God has the power to grant us eternal life and to keep his promise. It'll never run dry. It'll never get to the place, I'm sorry, my power's out. No more eternal life to pass out. Aren't you glad there's not a cutoff? Oh, God is able to grant it, even whosoever will. Notice something else that we find that's eternal in the Bible, the book of first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice, if you don't mind, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know that we have an eternal house. Now again, he's dealing here with the church of Corinth, and he's trying to encourage them. But you understand that we have a nice church building here. It's a hundred-something-year-old building, but it's nice. But you know, one day, it's going to fade away. No matter what we do, it's going to fall apart. In fact, if we leave it alone long enough, it will continue to fall apart. We have to work at it. But God is, has an eternal house that will never rust, never corrode, never fade away. It is eternal that he has built for you and for me. Oh, what a wonderful thing that we could look forward to that. Now, as we continue on, notice in the book of Ephesians, let's see something else eternal that we have. The book of Ephesians. If you're in the book of 2 Corinthians, keep turning. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 3. Oh, this is good stuff. Ephesians chapter number 3. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to talk about the mystery of Christ, that we have fellowship in this mystery. This mystery, the word mystery, means something that was previously hidden but is now revealed. So something that was hidden in the Old Testament but is now revealed. And he starts to talk about the fellowship of the mystery. Now notice with me in verse number 10. Number 10 is a shouting verse when we understand this. To the intent now 
that unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice this eternal purpose. Now in this passage here, it is talking about the local church. Now in the context, it's speaking about that there are Jewish believers and there are Gentile believers in the church of Ephesus. And there's been a little bit of a schism, a little bit of a thing. For the, for the Jewish people, they've been taught that they've been God's people all of their life. And they've been taught that the Gentiles were nothing more than dogs. And so while they're sitting in church, they've been accepted Christ. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. That they look at themselves and they said, you know, we're still God's people. We're thankful that God could save dogs, but we're, we're special. And the Gentiles are looking at the Jewish people and said, what's wrong with them? Why do they think they're better than us? Aren't we just saved the same? Now as God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given to Paul this mystery, he says, let me tell you a secret. That the Gentiles and the Hebrews are going to be part of the same body. Some Jewish lady passes out there. What? These, these dogs are going to be part of the same body? How does this work out? And I want you to think about this. That inside of a local church, we have people of different backgrounds. Of different ages. Of different things. For example, I'm a nerd and I'm not the same age as you. My... My uh, things that I enjoy doing may not be the things that you enjoy doing. In fact, any other circumstance, you would probably not hang out with me. You probably don't want to study for fun. You're not of the same age bracket. But you know what? Because we're all sinners saved by grace, we could come together and fellowship to God. Isn't that amazing? And that we could come together and watch God work. And that's truly amazing. But in verse number 10, it soars higher than that. It says, to the intent or the purpose that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. This is angels and such. Every time we meet together for a church service, the principalities and powers are watching this. God is allowing them to watch our services that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. Now by the church is a prepositional phrase. We could set that aside for now. I want you to, we're going to bring it back in. But notice this. To the intent now, to the purpose now, that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known the manifold wisdom of God. How? By the church. You know the angels don't understand salvation. And so as they're watching the church services, they're watching people who at one time raised their fist to God and said, we hate you, we don't want you to tell us what to do, and they sinned against God. But now these same people who once rebelled against God have gathered together and are worshiping to God together in one place. And the angels are watching even a small church like this, and they're looking down and they go, wow. Do you know, when you are part of a local church, you are part of something very big. Something that makes the angels go, wow, only God could have done this. There's no other way. God was able to bring these people of different cultures, of different backgrounds, people who once cursed God and bring them together. And they're worshiping God. Only 
God could have done that. Every time we have a church service, the angels are going, wow, only God could do this. Then notice in verse 11, as it builds on that, according to the eternal purpose, which he, God, purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You understand that the church is not the backup plan. This was always his plan. Amen. To bring us to the place where people of different races, different creeds, different cultures can come together. God had always had this in mind. You understand there are eternal things. Now, by the way, this is all the introduction. I haven't even got to the message yet. But we're trying to see that there are eternal things that the Bible explains. Notice we have something else that the Bible says that's eternal. First John or First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Now, what we're trying to do is get an idea of this idea of eternal and trying to see these eternal things and then compare them to the eternal life that God had promised and provided to people with the idea. We want to answer the question. Can eternal life be a present possession? Well, we're defining what eternal is and seeing these things that are eternal. And then we can apply it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Oh, what a wonderful God here. That God has eternal glory. And that after God has worked in us, made us suffer for a while, his desire is to make you perfect. This word perfect means to be complete or whole, spiritually mature. He's working in your life his, for his eternal glory. That when we mature in Christ, it brings glory to God. When we become established, that carries the idea that we're, that we're upset on a foundation. We're not rocking to and forth. He's trying to work in our life that we're established. He's trying to strengthen us. He's trying to keep us where we can be spiritually strong. And he's trying to settle us so we're not blown about. To settle us in. We're not going anywhere. This gives eternal glory to God. To think about, you know, what glory does God get when someone uh, hurries up, gets saved, starts getting on fire, and then he fizzles out and then no longer serves God. It's those that stay the course. And God grows and matures. And they don't go anywhere. I've been part of this church serving faithfully for 30 years. That brings glory to God. You see, God is not just a God who's worthy to be served. Just, you know, when he does good things. It's over time. I'm still serving God because he's faithful. Because he's worthy. That brings glory to God. He is worth that lifetime of service. He is worthy. You know, there's something else that the Bible says is eternal. Look with me in the book of Jude. The book of Jude, one chapter in verse number seven. Jude and verse number seven. We see that there is another eternal thing mentioned in the Bible. Jude chapter number seven. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, when we talk about eternal things, we don't just talk about the good news, we also talk about the bad news. And that there is an eternal flame, an awful place called hell, where real people go there. 
that is an eternal place. A place where the people who go there, there's no breaks, there's no naps, there's no passing out, and there's no getting out. It is an eternal place. By the way, this is why it is so important that we answer the question, can eternal life be a present possession? Because we know this has to be answered because there is a real eternal fire that real people go there. And so we know that the most important question we can ask, answer is, can we know for sure that we have eternal life? Now let me pause here. There are some people that do not like when I say such things. In fact, they try to say, well, aren't you one of those people who believe once saved, always saved? Now what they mean by that is different than what the Bible says. What they think we say is that if you say a little prayer, then you could go rob banks and you're still going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, we'll cover that in a second. But you understand the phrase that they try to use is, you believe in once saved, always saved. Remember, we should always use, always use biblical language as much as possible. We believe in eternal life. We believe in everlasting life. And so let's go through and explain what do we mean by eternal life and that it can be a present possession. That we do not believe that people can say a little prayer and then live however they want. We do believe what the Bible has to say concerning eternal life. Let's explain what we mean. First of all, notice with me in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I love this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice with me if you don't mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. We know that first of all. We are new creatures. What do we mean by eternal life? We mean by eternal life. That first of all. We are new creatures. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice with me in verse 17. Therefore if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What do I mean by this? Well, the moment that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to dwell inside of me. And by the way, He becomes a part of me. That word regenerate, it means regene. We understand in our modern world, we understand more about DNA and whatnot. We are actually transformed into a new creature. And that the Holy Spirit who is God becomes a part of me. And he can never be separated from me because he's a part of me now. I am now a new creature. I don't have just new clothes on. God has changed me from the inside out. I am a new creature. And so when we're talking, we're trying to define what do we mean by this idea of eternal life? Well, we believe that once you accept Christ as your Savior, recognizing that you're a sinner, and because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God, but then you realize that Jesus is your only hope, and you accept Him as your Savior. The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and makes you a new creature. And with that becoming a new creature, you now have a new life called eternal life. This brand new thing. You know, sometimes people will have at a funeral. I just preached a funeral yesterday. And sometimes at a funeral, they'll have in the front, they'll have the face of the person. And then they'll have when they were born and when they die. And then they'll say they entered eternal life and they'll give the date when they died. But it, let me tell you a truth. The moment that you 
enter eternal life is the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't enter eternal life when you die. You enter eternal life the moment you accept Christ. That is the time you enter eternal life. That's when you're born again. You are made anew. You are a new creature. When we pass away, we become more alive than we've ever been. But we start our eternal life the moment you accept Christ. That it can be a present possession because we're new creatures. Notice as we go on, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, notice with me verse number 14. We see not only are we new creatures, but we also have a new motive. A new motive. Verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We understand we have a new motive. Our motive now is the love of Christ. You understand, some people who do not believe that we can have eternal life as a present possession, they believe that you have to keep working at salvation, you have to keep doing this and doing this. What happens, someone who's not sure of their salvation, they end up serving God in order to get something from Him. Meaning, I'm serving God in order to make sure I'm saved, or so He keeps me saved. But if you have... G eternal life settled, you know that God made you a promise, then I'm no longer serving in order to get something from God. I'm serving because of what he has already done for me. My motive is a thankful heart, not in order to secure something or to get something from God. My motive is different. And I have the privilege of serving God, not to make sure that I'm saved. I serve God because I'm saved. The things I do is because purely, not because of me and be not because I think I need it. It is because of him. Eternal life can be a present possession. And when you have eternal life and you know that you have it, I serve God with a new motive. For the love of Christ constraineth me. I serve God because of, not in order to. With this, we see something else. Not only when we talk about eternal life, not only do we speak about that we become new creatures, not only do I have a new motive, but we also have a new father. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number 12. This whole chapter is good. But we also receive a new father. Now on the surface that sounds really good. Yay I got a brand new father. Yay. Well you understand. There's responsibilities that a father has. To raise his children correctly. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews. Now the whole chapter is good. But let me just give you a little snippet. Uh, verse number 5. Hebrews 12.5 And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For, the, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you at as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. And it goes on. But you don't understand, 
when we get a brand new heavenly father, we have a father who will take us outside the woodshed. That's an old southern term. He will spank us. He will chasten us. Why? Is it because a father hates us? No. The most loving thing a parent can do was correct their children. The most loving thing. In fact, the book of Proverbs says that a parent hates their child if they refuse to correct them. You understand, some people have falsely think that we teach that, well, you say a prayer, you do whatever you want. No, 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 no. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, He will correct our behavior. He will not allow us to continue in sin. And by the way, any person who says that they're a Christian and does not get taken outside of the woodshed, the Bible's very clear, you're not one of God's children. You need to get that right. You understand, nobody likes to be spanked. Nobody volunteers and said, you know what? I want spanked today. But you understand, every time we do get disciplined, it is proof that our parents love us. And so when God takes me outside and gives me a spanking, and he does, it is a loving act. And I'm thankful. It's proof that I'm one of God's children. So when we talk about eternal life, we're not giving people a blank check. When you have eternal life, you have a new father who will not allow you to get away with sin. Now, it doesn't mean that they're still not rebellious children. Some children need a lot more spanking than others. But God will take care of that. We have a new father. You know, something else with this eternal life, we also get a new judgment. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now again, what we're trying to put an emphasis on is that we, um, we should always use biblical language. The people try to say, we, we believe in once saved, always saved. We should use biblical language. We believe in eternal life. And eternal life can be a present possession. It can be something that we have now. And when you have eternal life, you get brand new things. You become a new creature. We have a new motive. We have a new father. We also have a new judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice with me verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm in 2 Corinthians, so let me get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Did I tell everybody wrong? I apologize. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11. For, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is in Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. Why? Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work. Notice this, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so as by fire. Now, we understand that when we accept Christ as our Savior, something else new is we have a new judgment. We understand that those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to be judged for their sins. For us, we are no longer judged for our sins. That has already been paid for at the cross of Calvary. The judgment we face is going to be what work we do for Christ of what sort 
it is. And we'll receive rewards or loss of rewards based off of what we do for God. Our judgment is different. Now, judgment is still a fearful thing because the idea of judgment is that you're being evaluated. I used to play trumpet and from time to time I'd be in a competition. And before I played trumpet, before the judges, I'd be nervous. Why? Is it because if I failed so horribly bad that they would tie me up, throw me in the back of a trunk, throw me out in the middle of the desert to fend for myself? No. no. Was there anything bad going to happen to me? No. You see, when I was being judged for playing trumpet, I was being judged for rewards or loss of rewards. I have a brand new judgment. And you understand that the rewards are great. And so are the loss of rewards. We'll speak more about this later. But this is a big deal of the millennial kingdom. To stand before your God. Not for judgment of sin. But your judgment of how much I love him. I loved you this much. I was willing to obey you. That is going to be a fearful evaluation. I'm not going to be cast into hell. But to understand that all my works do matter. What, what I've done for Christ. It's going to be judged of what sort I am. This is a big deal. But I will not be sentenced to hell. I will be not sentenced to be sent away from God's presence. That's a wonderful thing. I have a different judgment. Well as we're talking about this eternal life. And we're describing what we mean. That we are made new creatures. We have a new motive. We have a new father. We have a new judgment. One more thing I want to show you. The book of Titus chapter number two. The book of Titus chapter two. And I want to show you that with this eternal life we also have a new freedom. A new freedom. Notice with me in Titus chapter number two. Titus chapter number two. Notice with me in verse number 13. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. With this we have a new freedom. A new freedom. This freedom is that we have the freedom to serve God. We are no longer a slave to sin. He has paid all of our price. That it is all gone. It is all taken care of. And now we have the freedom to serve Him. Not in order to get something from Him. But we have the freedom to serve Him out of love. Our sins have all been paid for. They're all gone. And now we could rejoice. We don't have that weight anymore on us. And now we have that freedom to choose him. Not because I have to, but because I want to. That's the freedom we have. You understand most religion or religion period is the idea of works. I must do something in order to get God's favor. No matter what religion it is, I'm trying to work in order to earn something. True biblical Christianity is that the work has already been done. I'm not trying to earn anything. 
I'm doing it because I love him. That's a weight. I don't have to feel like, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Is am I doing? It's already been paid for. I have the freedom to serve him. What different lives we have because of it. We're not in bondage and sin and we're not enchained and we're not enslaved. Now, with it, how can we sin against this freedom that God has given to us? Amen. How can we wash it away and say, this isn't important? Well, I got the freedom to do whatever I want. God didn't give us the freedom to do whatever he wanted. He gave us the freedom to choose to serve him because he's worth it. By the way, this is what we mean by eternal life. We don't believe that someone can say a prayer and then go rob banks and do whatever they want. We do believe that once you accept Christ as your Savior, when you realize that you're a sinner, and because of your sin that you've violated, you've offended a, a, a holy, holy God, and that there's consequences for it, an awful place called hell. But then you realize that Jesus died for you, and you gladly accept that free gift, that you change, everything changes. And that we now have a heavenly father who will not continue in sin. We have a brand new life that changed us. Our motive has changed. We have a freedom. This is what we mean by eternal life. And by the way, it can be a present possession. Let's answer that question in 1 John chapter number 5. Where we started off with. Let's just nail that down quickly. 1 John chapter 5. Verse number 11. 1 John 5.11 And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is the record. This is the, the account that He's given to us. That if you have Jesus... You have, present tense, eternal life. And if you do not have Jesus, then you do not have eternal life. These things have I written unto you. By the way, we're not basing things off of what we think or what we hope or what we dream. They're based off of God's promises, of what God said. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. People who know me well know that that word know is my favorite word in all the Bible. It means to know by knowledge, to know by experience. It's not book knowledge, but you can know by experience for yourself. You can know right now that you have present tense, not in the future, but present tense. You have it, eternal life. You understand eternal life can be a present possession. It's not something we're obtaining to. It's not something we hope to get one day. It is something I can have right now. For he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Eternal life can be a present possession. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.